You're listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association, where we discuss the latest market trends in outdoor recreation. And now, here are your hosts, Kelly Davis and Patrick Hogan. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Inside the Outdoors. I'm your host, Patrick Hogan. In this episode, Kelly and I describe the growth of direct-to-consumer sales and how this trend emerged. We'll discuss how the increasing share of sales going from brands directly to consumers affects all parties in the market, from the brand's need for consumer information to the dealer's interactions with customers and the customer's need for information. Let's get into it. Everyone should wear a helmet 24 hours a day. <laughs> you know yeah, what? 65 I, days a year. <laughs> I should, I, anyway. When I worked at a shop, um, the husband and wife that owned it were like huge cyclists. And she got into a wreck on a group ride, like in, in front of the easy group that she was riding. It was like like the 10-mile loop and a, a car like T-boned her and sent her flying. And she had her helmet on, thankfully, because when she went to the hospital, the doctor like pointed out three places on her skull that he was like, should have died this time, should have died this time, should have died this time, but had a helmet, totally fine. Like she was a little wobbly for a bit, but thankfully she made a 100% recovery and yeah, I, I'm a big proponent of wearing helmets, personally. I, yeah. I, I'm i not going to speak for any organizations, but you're not going to catch me on a bike without a helmet. It's too but, easy. All, and they're comfortable and they look cool. And like, it's it's not the the silly old helmets of the 80s that are all goofy looking, you know, this big old bucket on your head. Um, there's plenty of helmets that look great. And you can, you can accessorize them. Some of them have headphones in there if you want to like play music or whatever. I have different opinions on that, but uh, safety first. You know. Usually, safety usually first with me. Yeah, usually, <laughs> which is I'm, why I have to. Which is why you know I have helmets on display behind me. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty badass full face helmet back there. I don't have anything quite that serious, but I also don't do anything quite that serious. Yeah, I should be wearing it when I'm on that electric longboard. I really should, and I know mm. it, and yet I don't do it. I haven't figured that out yet for myself. I guess when I scratch my face off on a road, maybe I'll wise <laughs> up. This podcast is audio only, though, so you don't have to disclose that whenever, if and when that might happen. Uh, yeah, but, you know, I've got a face for radio to begin with, so this is great. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the other thing about wearing a helmet for me is that I have a daughter that's one, and we spend a lot of time in the trailer pulling behind the bike. And when it comes time for her to, like, actually start riding her own bike, I think my... um my wearing a helmet for however many months or years before she gets on her bike and starts going around the neighborhood um, helps her realize that helmets aren't dorky. Helmets aren't silly. It's part of the deal. You're going to hop on your bike, wear your helmet. Agreed. Your noggin. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. I was introduced to a helmet after, you know, I had my first head injury from a bike Great. attack. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, it shows. That's too funny. When I think of what I could have been. I mean, geez, my mom smoked and drank. <laughs> she was pregnant with me. I've hit my head a million times. Wow. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I me too. could have been so much more, if only. That's okay. <laughs> I'm happy where I am. What are we talking about today? We've got, are we talking about either D to C? Let's do that one. Okay, excellent. Let's talk about direct-to-consumer and the rise of it. I love this topic. Let's take a second to define direct-to-consumer retail and like exactly what we're talking about, right? Okay. So when we think direct-to-consumer or DTC, that's brands selling directly to an individual and and sort of like bypassing the retail storefront. So it's no longer a customer going to a local ski shop or a local bike shop to purchase their equipment. It's them going 
online or it could be to like a brick and mortar storefront owned by that brand, whether it's a Burton store or a Trek store or whoever, um, to purchase that from the brand owned source. And that's different from what what we think of as like independent retail, which is sort of like mom and pop shop where, you know, they they have a relationship with the brand and they maintain that line of communication. And then that storefront serves as the interface with the customer um, that's being skipped in this D to C uh, channel so that the customers are interacting directly with that brand. And that changes the needs for information. And that changes the way that products flow from suppliers or brands to the individual. Agreed. That's it. Yeah, that's a good point. Because there are retailers that are selling um, online to consumers, and that is not direct to consumer. So you've got yeah. the REIs of the world, and you've got the Evos of the world that you know figured out that you know online buying was going to be a popular mode of of buying for the, their consumer, and they went ahead and did that. And in many in many cases, did it ahead of the curve. The way I think of it is like shifting channels and and sort of like not just the rise of DTC, but the gaps that appeared and how DTC filled those gaps. Um, So maybe I'll have you describe just super broadly how customers bought things in outdoor rec beforehand. I know this it's kind of a silly setup. Are you, but, are you asking the old but, lady? No, <laughs> no, no, no. To spill the tea about back in the day. I will. Don't about worry. It's cool. It's cool. Because yeah. yeah. back in the day, I was working at a bike shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Back in the day, and this is, I'd say, you know, there, there have been a, a couple of iterations of the internet, sort of a web one that, that was happening. She's starting in, the first time I encountered it was on bulletin boards of all things in college. And it, you know, it grew from there and it kind of became sort of a thing where companies had to have a website, you know, we're, we're talking about sort of mid nineties to late 90s and into the early aughts. And really what came what came about next that that pushed technology was social media. But as that all was happening, there were some brands and some online retailers, i.e. Amazon, that figured out that people would like to actually just find a product and buy it. They didn't, they weren't that interested in going to retail and and touching and feeling and really experiencing the product before they bought it, like we did in the 80s. Right. In the old days before the yeah. internet, when we actually had to go to the store. So really the, the great thing about the internet and and this I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get into the history in a minute, but the great thing about the internet was then you were exposed to so much more. I mean, you're exposed mm-hmm. to pretty much all the products that were available. I mean, you started reading gear guides online. You started to be able to see a gear guide and then and it was clickable on the product and you could see the product and you could find out where you could get it. And before it was like, if you're, if you're local, if your local retailer didn't carry it, you're pretty much SOL. You weren't going to get that product. So yeah. like when I worked in Hawaii at that bike shop, especially in Hawaii, if you wanted a particular kind of bike, you better come into the shop because that's the only place you're going to be able to get it. And yes, we could order specific bikes, but you know, it took time and you had to come through us. So what happened after really 2006 and Web2 really started to push you know, everybody online and all us old people got on Facebook finally, right? Um, mm-hmm. And ruined it for everybody. Let's point that out. Uh, We started to buy things online and there were some retailers that were ahead of the curve, especially when it comes to things that, you know, you're you're used to trying on, you know, you're you're not, you're used to no understanding fit in terms of trying a couple on and seeing how it feels. 
footwear was a major push there. And Zappos did such a great job at allowing people to, to try a pair of shoes and return it. I mean, that was one of the major problems with buying online is that you're afraid that if you got it, oh, holy shit, you know, you can't return it. There's nowhere to go to get it serviced. Yeah, you know, totally. what do I do? So really the, you know, the brands have really thought about that. And some brands have had thought about it more than others and did a better job of introducing customers to their product and also selling them that product on the same site rather than introducing them to their product and saying, oh, by the way, you know, if they're lucky, if the customer's lucky, they have a retailer locator on the brand site. So it's just a step beyond that. And this is hard on retail, especially independent specialty retail. So if you had an outdoor retail or bike retail, independent bike retail dealer, or mm-hmm. you had, uh, say, a ski shop, and it wasn't, especially for snow, I know for sure, if it wasn't proximal to the resort, and those those guys really just um, got slammed by direct-to-consumer, simply because now people can go online, find exactly what they were looking for, and have it shipped directly to their doorstep. And that, I think, along with more reassurance that if you got something you didn't like, you could return it, and it wasn't that big of a deal, it wasn't that big of a hassle. I think all of those things sort of coalesced and were accelerating when the pandemic hit. And then all of a sudden, everything got delivered. Everything from your food to your toiletries to your bike got delivered to your doorstep. And, you know, as time went on, I think two things happened. Number one, customers got more comfortable shopping online and getting product online. I mean, a lot of people have Amazon Prime. You can order something, get it the next day. So you don't have to go through that waiting period, which is you know sort of a competitive advantage that retailers could push. Like when you come in, you see something you like, you buy it, you got it in your hands. You know, you can yeah. have it that day. So, you know, during the pandemic, we got used to sort of that 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 mode of shopping for everything. And One of the problems for the brands is that they used to sell directly into retail and that's all they did. They sold directly into retail and the retailers handled the um, Mm direct-to-consumer interactions. So brands didn't really have to understand their consumer as well as a retailer. I mean, the retailer was where the wherever met the road and the person walked in the door and they, they built relationships with their customers. You know, they, they had this communion with their customer. They built a community around their shop. And, you know, one of the things that, that I think we've lost due to the demise of a lot of independent retail is that sense of community locally. And now we've got it on social media. Thank God, you know, get yourself a gimbal and a GoPro, mm-hmm. get your mountain bike out and become a content creator and you'll find plenty of mountain bike friends right away. So I, I wonder if it's a replacement of that community online. So along with direct-to-consumer and people shopping online, now they've got their community online and they could share their experiences that way instead of just relying on their local community go, to go on rides and talk story and, you know, session certain things. You can yeah. do that now in a different way. So I think it's it's sort of socially interesting what's happened to direct to consumer, and it's and it's sort of just generally interesting from a business point of view to to watch how business is adapted to consumer behavior. I mean, this was pushed directly by consumer behavior. I'm sure there are a lot of brands that went direct to consumer that would rather have not done that. That mm. would have rather had things just stay the way they were because I mean, this yeah. disrupted everything from 
you know, production cycles to trade show schedules to um, whether or not you, where you're going to spend your marketing dollars. And if you're selling, say, 60% of your of your goods direct to consumer, I mean, do you do you plow those profits into marketing campaigns that that center around trade shows, or are you going to market directly to your consumer? It seems to me that the logical thing to do would be to spend more money, you know, marketing directly to your consumer and understanding your consumer yeah, a little bit better that. than you ever had because yeah. you never had to before. You knew your retail, they're easy. <laughs> yeah, they, it's probably a more homogenous group. It is totally. I've done the demographics on them before. And granted, that was in snow. So it was a little bit more monotone than than outdoor is um, overall. But mm-hmm. wow, that was mm-hmm. easier so much easier and it and it yeah. didn't change it was it was not very dynamic it was the same for like 25 years i could have used segments yeah i could imagine in 2010 that i used in 1995 really <laughs> i know i know let's try the same people honestly yeah probably you know but the yeah, the family run independent retailer is you know it i don't want to say it's no more but it's certainly an endangered species There's a lot of different terms that we can use to define how things get sold. Some of them I think of as channels, right? So like a channel would be um, an independent retailer, like your mom and pop store, or like a mass retailer, like your Targets and Walmarts, or direct to consumer. Like I think of those as channels. It's it's sort of the... um, the entity from which a customer is buying their their products. But then there's also like the mode and it could be any of those three channels could exist as brick and mortar. We've all been to a, a Walmart brick and mortar establishment, I'm sure, or e-commerce. We've all probably visited a Walmart site. And so it's no longer just specialty versus mass, but it's like this huge grid of specialty mass DTC and brick and mortar and e-commerce. And then like even further confusing this is some of these more unique methods of purchasing, like click and collect, where you might purchase something directly from a brand and then go to that brand's retail outlet and pick it up there. And it just, it sort of adds a lot of gray area to a a previously like well-defined operation, a a well-defined system of channels and, and distribution methods. Yeah, agreed. And it's, well, it's only going to get more complicated. I mean, mm-hmm. ima- imagine this, just imagine this. And this should, I just, uh, I'm just throwing it out there as an idea for the future. But imagine that you're, that, you know, 10 years from now, you're on a ski lift, you're wearing AR goggles, right? So we'll discuss at some point my game, Chase the Yeti, <laughs> that will show up in your, your AR goggles. But in your AR goggles, you can look around. If you see something you like, you know, you just tap on your goggle and bingo, bango. It's going to basically give you the option to buy that product, take you to the wherever you can buy it. And, and all of a sudden you can just click to buy because you're looking at something you're coveting. I can't wait to exploit our human nature. We do covet. And if I can get somebody coveting, I can sell them right away. So, yeah. I mean, just just imagine how direct-to-consumer is going to seem sort of, you know, quaint and antiquated in an, in mm-hmm. an age when you, can, when you can actually see to buy. It's going to be that quick. So the idea that something's direct-to-consumer, in my head, it's, I'm with you. It's, you know, I, I sort of 
have spent the last couple of decades thinking in terms of channels. So you, you know, you've, you had online, which amazingly to me was new back in about 2006 that you could, you could actually measure online sales and that measured online sales across the industry. So not only, you know, online only like the house, for example, was an online only place. Um, but you know, hybrids. So you've got, that was measuring specialty retailer, even if Mm -hmm. they were just selling online. So there was online, then chain, which was your Walmarts and your Costco's and your Dick's Sporting Goods. And then specialty, which included your independent specialty retail. I think our definition was three doors or less in, you know, in order to be considered independent specialty. And then I think of them and they're, they're all doing hybrid things. And in some cases you can, you can buy directly from them and I'll send it to you. You can buy buy directly from them and you can pick it up or you can, you know, you can buy directly from them and they'll, they'll basically, um, actually what I'm thinking of is you can come into the shop and just buy it. So they're like, (laughs) I forgot about the old. This really old school method where you go to the place and you buy it. what was I you saying? You might even pay with cash. 10 minutes ago about going into retail shops in the 80s. Yeah. I've forgotten. Smoked too much weed, I guess. I don't know. Everybody's selling Sorry. everything all different kinds of ways. But yeah. direct to consumer me to me, when I think about it, really when I when I think about what's really changed, it's that brands have to engage their consumers and when they didn't before, and they have to know their consumers better than they ever did. So and how I do think, you get to know your consumers? Oh, by hiring people like us, Patrick, of course. Oh, yeah. Cool. That's, I mean, among the many things that we do for the members of our associations, um, I think that, you know, providing them with accurate, detailed um, intelligence about their consumers or about consumers in the market is key to, to providing our members with the value they deserve. Yeah. So, so here's um, sort of how I view the trend. Like you were describing all the different ways that you can purchase a product. There's, there's a term in economics called the endowment effect, and that describes what happens when you start to value something that was given to you, right? Or, or that you, you at one point realized. And if we look at the COVID-19 pandemic, mid-2020, we'll say like early 2020, we were all in our homes and, and all these systems that got us groceries and foods and product had to adapt to bringing us these products instead of us going out to stores where where we weren't able to go because of social distancing guidelines or stay-at-home orders or whatever. We all of a sudden received this level of convenience that we didn't have before. We didn't have to leave the house and we've latched onto that. And the loss of that convenience would be such a disproportionate um, decrease in our value that we're not going to do it. Um, if I can have my dinner delivered on a Friday night and just you know pay whatever uh, food delivery service to drop it off on my doorstep, absolutely I would. There's no stay-at-home order that forces me to not leave the house or like would prevent me from going to pick it up. But now that I've enjoyed this level of convenience, that's what I'd like to maintain. And, and the same can be said for the way we purchase products in the outdoor recreation space. It's really hard to imagine a big shift back towards brick and mortar specialty retail instead of this like super hybrid method that you were describing a second ago. This like click and collect or research online or buy online maybe and then pick up in store or go in store to research and then buy online. There's it, and it's all driven by our preference for convenience and and, um, and like 
getting the greatest value we can out of this interaction, understanding that our time cost of going to a brick and mortar location or our time cost of conducting research online as opposed to going to find an expert in a store maybe plays a big factor into that now. Whereas before our options were limited and it wasn't it it, it wasn't, you know, a line item that we were tallying up and we're deciding how we want to purchase that product. Yeah, agreed. I mean, it was it was really just a matter of trying to find who had the product that you wanted. We're yeah. finding, it, honestly, it was, it was building a relationship with someone at a shop. I mean, I had plenty of shop buddies growing up and it was good mm-hmm. to have a shop buddy because not only did you get information, but, you know, discount. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's huge. Yeah, uh, I, I, I do miss that, honestly. I don't think that my gear, the way I've chosen it, is any better than it ever was. Um, mm-hmm. and, and my information is worse. I mean, even though I read various comments on places like Trail Forks, I'm still going to eat it on the trail. (laughs) I mean, I'm having the same experience, but maybe just a little less, you know, involved in a community, which I, which I do miss. I do mourn the loss of that. Yes. That's a, that's a really good point. So if we're talking about the need for brands to understand their consumers so they can better engage in direct to consumer sales, there's still an opportunity for brick and mortar storefronts and specialty retail in particular to understand their customers, to build that sense of community. You described how online purchasers might be really interested in online communities and in engaging through social media or through ride tracking apps and and like communities within those apps. There's a huge opportunity for in-person interaction to lead to a sense of community where you're, um, doing group rides or group outings or just, um, I don't know, um, expos and demos and and all kinds of cool interactions that you sort of have the um, have a monopoly on because you've got that person in your physical community and you can capitalize on that in-person interaction. No doubt. And the other thing that I remember from back in the day, since now I'm just going to mm-hmm. own it, right? Go for it. <laughs> We used to have clubs like ski clubs and mountain bike clubs that had some kind of relationship with a local retailer. You know, a lot of it was sort of a, hey, man, give us a discount or a club and maybe we can meet at the shop, that kind of a that kind of a relationship. And and even though, you know, I found shop owners and and once was a bit of a cranky shop owner myself, we still had a relationship with the with the retailers in our area as Mm -hmm. because we are part of a club. If there's a ski club near me, I mean. I'm 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 pretty sure that the youngest member is about 75. <laughs> Seriously. Um say in Mountain Bike Club, we do have a shop that runs a mountain bike ride and there's only but there's only one and you know so one weekly ride and one weekly road ride with two groups, you know, fast and a slow group. So yeah, it's I've I've just in my N equals one moment for the day. Um, we should come up with N equals one t-shirts, by the way. I'm just going to say that. Yeah, I that's, love it. That's, that's going to be part of my merch because somebody's somebody today is going to say, yeah, you have the data, but this one time my cousin thought that it's going to happen. But in this yeah, case, yeah, I have okay. seen I have seen the clubs that, that I, you know, when I was younger, I definitely belonged to, you know, my interest kind of faded out and um, I don't think I was alone. And and those retailers have that. There's two fewer bike shops and three fewer ski shops in my town than there were 20 years ago. And oh wow! About, and about a hundred thousand more people. So yeah, I'm more than the loss of it a bit. And it, and I'm not going to bring it back. This is like you know just a whiny old lady saying I wish things could be like they were. 
I am wondering, you know, has a, has social media replaced my community and where do I find them? And I have found them in a few places, but yeah, I'm, I'm sort of now wondering as a market researcher, where do things go from here, especially because we came became accustomed to convenience like severe convenience, acute convenience yeah. during the pandemic. And it doesn't appear that we're, that despite the fact that most of us are vaccinated and are interacting in public um, in a, in a fairly normal human way that I'm not really sure where things, you know, actually, actually go from here. And I was thinking about when you're talking about DoorDash, I was like, holy shit, I DoorDash every Friday. I yeah, used to go out every Friday. Now I'm just like, at the end of the day, I'm like, you know what I want to do? I just want to hang out, watch TV and eat a burger. Yeah. Where's my door? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, it, we, we've just really anchored on that level of convenience, but, but like you said, that doesn't mean that we don't still want a community. It's just a community that like we kind of define the parameters for, and we want this particular interaction and people for bikes in late 2020 fielded a study to better understand the riders who started riding during the pandemic. And we asked tons of questions about why they started riding, what they were doing before the pandemic that prevented them from riding and sort of what changed that got them on a bike during the pandemic. And then one of the really interesting questions at the end was focused on what they needed in order to keep riding. Like what, what lever could we pull to keep you engaged in this activity that you might not keep doing after the pandemic because we're going to go back to maybe someday working in person Monday to Friday, nine to five. Um, What? (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. I'm not there yet. But um, having all these constraints that we had pre-pandemic, these time commitments outside of work. And one of the biggest things that people said was like a sense of community, an invitation from a friend or a family member and like being welcomed into the fold of the locals in my area who do this thing. And they want group rides from the shop that leave at 9 a.m. and go 20 miles or 40 miles or 60 miles because they didn't have that during the pandemic. It was a lot of trying to figure it out using information that's available online or using ride tracking apps to try and identify routes that were within their comfort level, close to home or something. And that interaction still does play a big part in how people want to participate in that um, activity. Uh, but it's all driven sort of bottom up by the participant. It's it's no longer this like, kind of like you were describing, it's not a top-down organization anymore. Yeah, not at all. In fact, you know, the consumer is there, what they demand is what's moving markets. It's this, this sort of Change in the, in the power dynamic between consumer and brand has been fascinating to watch over the past 30 years as that I've been working since I'm so old. <laughs> it's been fascinating to watch. I, when, in the beginning of my career, marketing was super easy. You know, they didn't think it was easy, but it was super easy back then. You basically, you know, it was your job to, to tell consumers what to think about your products, what to think about your brand, mm-hmm. you know, to really sell them on the idea. And that has all shifted. It's now consumers who tell you what they think about your brand and what your brand means to them. And, you know, you can try and, and communicate values, but if you're not authentic, they're going to stiff it out and burn yeah. you for it. And it's in, in just thinking about direct and consumer that just shifts the dynamic further into the consumer's hands where it should be, frankly. Customer's always right. Well, usually. <laughs> I see you rolling your eyes. <laughs> We've all worked customer service, Patrick. We all no, have. I have too. Yeah. I, yeah. I was being a little bit facetious, but but it is accurate in that like the customer is going to tell you what they're going to buy. And they're also probably going to tell you how they're going to buy it, either from their couch or from a, a storefront or um, whatever, from their 
augmented reality goggles on the chairlift, as you were describing in your example. At one of my my many retail jobs, this is actually a bike shop. There's one guy who worked at the shop that, you know, pardon my language, but this guy was such a dick. I mean, his and his name was, we'll just call him Ed. It wasn't Ed, but it rhymed yeah. with it. Anyway, and this is 30 years ago. This guy's probably dead, but <laughs> hey, it rhymed. But he was, he was just, a, he was one of those guys that you walk into a bike shop and you just don't want this guy to be mm. your, ser- your, your customer service representative yeah. because he was arrogant. He was, he, he was a, just a prick to people, especially women that came out there. You know, he was very patronizing. You know, mm. he thought he was the shit and he thought everybody else, you know, should recognize that and bow down, especially customers in the shop. And I mean, I just, I saw him treat customers badly so many times that I just got used to following the, we had one of those garage doors, which Mm -hmm. was awesome, right? Just every morning, boom, and put the bikes out. It was awesome. So I'd just follow him out, have to apologize for this guy, right? And just because they're, they, I could see it in their face. They were never going to come back. One nice thing about the way people shop now is that I don't have to put up with guys like Ed. I don't have to put up with, if I meet somebody like that, I'm like, fuck you, I'm out, man. There are a million different ways for me to get this product. So in a way, you know, I'm happy about the demise of guys like Ed at the bike shop (laughs) and at the ski shop because they're everywhere. (laughs) And so, you know, I I see this whole thing as just one big karmic dump on guys like Ed. Thank you. Thank you, karma. Yeah. I'm sure you're probably aware of the study. I just, I I remember some of the conclusions of a study that um, asked folks about interactions that they've had with, with people like Ed and, um, and what do you do? And, and before e-commerce was a thing before direct-to-consumer was a thing and you had to have that relationship with the retailer, you would go back to that shop owner and you'd say, hey, I don't like working with Ed. I had a really bad experience with Ed. I want you to like fix this by providing me some product or service at a discounted rate or whatever. I, I want you to help me feel better about the interaction I had with Ed. That's not the case anymore. And it's not generational. It's It's just the consumer of today is so much more likely to go, you know what? I'm just never going to go back there and I'm never going to have an interaction with them. I might leave them a Yelp review, but I'm just going to take my dollars and go somewhere else. And um, just the reality of it, there's there's so many more options now. You can buy online, you can buy from a, a brand-owned store, you can buy from a big box retailer or amazon.com. Um, why put up with Ed? Just bail and, and go somewhere else because your your dollars are worth something to you and you want to spend them at a place where you feel good with that interaction. God, I love when you pick up what I'm putting down. I love it. <laughs> it's just awesome. No doubt. You know, it, I've I've spoken to a lot of brands about this. And one of the things that, that seems to hit home is when I use the analogy of dating. Mm-hmm. Think about how dating has changed, right? <laughs> there was back in the day. I, I got married at 22. <laughs> I was on it. Yeah. It used to be, you know, you met somebody when you went out, you met them at various places, whether, you know, you're meet at the church kind of person or meet at the bar kind of person. Let's leave that land there. But, um, you know, you you actually had to go out and interact with other people and meet them. And so dating was local, right? It was really location, location, location. (laughs) Yeah. You just better pray your soulmate lives within like a 10 mile radius of you. That was the end. And now, you know, check out Plenty of Fish, Tinder, Match.com, 
Hell, use LinkedIn or Facebook like a lot of men do. <laughs> and talk about options. Like, you know, you go on a date and it sort of sucks. And you're like, bye, later. You know, yeah. I, can have, I can have five more dates lined up tonight. You're out. It's sort of the same in, in sort of the same way shopping behavior has changed and relationships with your customer have changed and they're going to treat you just like they treat somebody on tinder if you don't if you just make them unhappy in the least especially early in the relationship later yeah it's too easy to find a better option i'm just swiping oh, interesting yeah I'm just sitting here i wish people could just this is an audio me. medium uh, sorry i'm swiping right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what an interesting analogy. That totally makes sense, though. Yeah. Why put up with a bad interaction if you can have plenty of other interactions that, that you know, could go in your favor? And this goes right back to, this is why I think that karma has just taken a dump on Ed. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully Ed's not listening. Uh, you know, I kind of hope he is. His name's not Ed, by the way. Yeah, it's okay. Just thought I'd tell you that one more time. Well, let's... Um, <laughs> Let's kind of put a button on the end of it. I, like the biggest thing that I heard was that as brands are selling more directly to consumers, there's a huge importance on understanding who that consumer is. It's no longer the brand just having to deal with the retailer and understanding who at that shop is the buyer and, and how they can appeal to that person and, and using trade shows to sort of showcase their products and build relationships with with retail outlets and um, and go about selling their product that way. But it's totally important now to understand who that customer is because they want to buy directly from a brand and they want they want a good interaction they want to be spoken to they want to be um be able to access information about your brand on social media and and see that you have the values that that they think are important and um consumer intelligence market research is how you get that done absolutely yeah and it's going to continue changing. And it, so brands need to figure out who their consumer is, how to engage that consumer. Retailers aren't SOL. They've got plenty of opportunity, especially when it comes to building community. And, you know, it, they don't, that this doesn't, this, this change in the dynamic doesn't mean that all retailers are, are out of luck. Um, yeah. Plenty of opportunity there. And for consumers, you know, it's, it's up to us to be very thoughtful. I think, you know, at this point that considering we can get almost anything, anytime, I mean, oh my God, I really feel like, you know, you wake up every day, you can kind of get anything you want. It's a little sick. I mean, I love yeah. it as a consumer, but that's that will continue. And that's why, you know, my my little analogy about coveting and, you know, thinking about the future is is going to be critically important. And of course, understanding your consumer now is is very important iteratively to your knowledge about your consumer in the future. So get to know them. That's that's my point. Get to know them. I like it. Thanks for listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association. We'll see you next time.